morning, everyone. Um, I'm warm. Some of you probably are warm. We'll try and keep those back doors open, and we'll get the. We'll, I was going to say we'll get the fans or the air conditioning switched over or something. Definitely for next week. Feel free to open a window if you're over there and hot. Um, we are working our way through the attributes of God in this knowledge of the holy series. And, of course, it makes sense that at some point we will arrive here at the most famous, uh, certainly the most popular of God's attributes, uh, the attribute of God's love. And uh, it's the disciple John uh, in the Bible who speaks the most about God's love. He's sort of known as the disciple of love or the apostle of love, if you read his gospel, if you read his letters, uh, the love of God seems to sort of just well out of John as he spends time on that topic. It's probably most clearly stated in 1 John 4, 8. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. God is love. Notice that John doesn't say God is loving, but God is love. Remember, we've been returning from time to time to remind ourselves that the attributes of God are not something outside of God that he conforms to, as though love is some higher ideal that God must be in order to be God, nor are the attributes of God all different pieces that come together to make God who he is, so that he's made up of his attributes. Rather, we keep reminding ourselves that the attributes are God. The attributes that we sort of parcel out into chapters of a book are the manifestations or they are the results that we see as God simply is God. So when you think why is love even a concept that we can perceive and talk about, the only reason love is a thing is because God's very being makes love real. He is love. And it matters a great deal that God is love and not love is God, which is how most people today would frame that statement. To hear people talk today, you would think that love is the higher ideal, that love is some superior standard that we hold even God to, that humans can actually exhibit the attribute of love better than God can, and we can hold God in judgment to our ideas of what love is, as though he's not the standard of love. But if God is love, then that means what God is, is love. That's how the attributes work. In other words, we don't get to decide what love is on our terms and then project our opinion of love onto God. Our notions of love are distorted by sin. Our notions of love are tainted by selfishness. Rather, we have to ask far more profound questions about what love really is. When, when John says God is love... Don't think that you automatically know what God is because you know what love is. Turn that around. You don't know what love is until you know who God is. But we get that reversed a lot. And we think we can describe God because we know what love is rather than letting God tell us what love is. Those are the questions we need to ask. In fact, the 1984 power ballad by the rock band Foreigner is theologically insightful in this manner, declaring, I want to know what love is. And the first verse actually gives us some pretty good biblical instruction. 
I've got to take a little time, a little time to think things over. I better read between the lines in case I need it when I'm older. Now, I say this only partly tongue-in-cheek, because completely unknown to me, when I first thought of this illustration and I looked up the lyrics to make sure I was getting them right, I actually discovered the inspiration of the song from the writer Mick Jones himself, who says this, I want to know what love is, came up at three in the morning. There's that three in the morning. Remember, we talk about that three in the morning encounter. Sometime in 1984, I don't know where it came from. I consider it a gift that was sent through me. I think there was something bigger than me behind it. I'd say it was probably written entirely by a higher force. (laughs) I don't know about entirely. I'm not sure repeating the chorus quite as often as Mick does makes sense. But anyway, absolutely, Mick. I think that you may have some supernatural inspiration going on in your life. And we do need to take some time. And you do need to think things over. And we do need to read between the lines and really figure out what love is. Because we don't know. And in fact, we don't even have to read between the lines. We can just read the lines. Because from cover to cover, God is telling us what love is. And so 1984 power ballads aside, insightful as they are, We're not going to look to Mick Jones to tell us what love is. We're going to look to Scripture. But Mick is asking the right question. It's the question we should be asking. Even the Apostle John, who wrote that God is love, and he himself experienced that love, marveled at the nature of that love. He was sort of rhetorically asking, what is this love of God? He he beckons us earlier in his letter to see and to consider, to dwell on the unique and defining love of God. He writes in 1 John 3, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. I like the King James in this one, actually. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. And and the key word here in in what John is saying is the manner or the kind. And different translations of the Bible all approach the original Greek in different ways with a greater or lesser degree of, you know, so-called accuracy, depending on how they translate the phrase and how it's used in the Greek. And and, it, and it's somewhat too bad that apart from the King James and the ESV, many translations miss the nuance of what John is actually saying here. Uh, if you look at this in the NIV, it says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us. I like lavished. That's a good word. It says, See what great. Uh, in the New Living Translation, it says, See how very much our Father loves us. Even the NASB, which I dearly love as a translation, uh, falls into the same trap, so to speak, and says, see how great a love the Father has bestowed on us. But that's not exactly what John said, really. Yes, God's love is great, but John is not limiting the characteristics or the manifestation of God's love to simply greatness. He wants us, he clearly calls us to behold the manner of God's love, the kind of God's love. What kind of love is this? It's more than just great. 
It has shape. It has contours. It's flavor. John's beckoning us to behold, to see that the very nature of God's love is not just great. It's different. It's a kind of love you really need to see and learn about. Or rather, we only know our version of love, and John wants us to see and know God's version of love, the manner of it. And I'll risk digging just a little bit deeper here to show you why this word manner or kind and this particular meaning is so important to what John is saying and to what we're studying today. The word John uses here and is used in the Greek is patapus, and it means literally from what country, which even in colloquial Greek at the time, would be used as a phrase to say of what sort or of what manner, but literally, from what country? John is saying, like, from what country does the love of God come from? In other words, this is inquiring about something foreign. You're eating food that tastes different. You're looking at artwork that looks nothing like what your country produces. You see a person walking down the street, and they're dressed so outlandishly, literally outlandishly. You listen to music, you hear a language that's completely unfamiliar, and you ask, what country is that from? It is so different. What I'm tasting, what I'm seeing, what I'm hearing, the spices are different, the contours and colors are different, their clothes are different, the grammar, even the alphabet is different. It's so different from what I know. For me to understand in this foreign thing, I need to learn a new alphabet. I need to learn new rules of grammar. I need to cook with new spices. I need to paint with new colors, or I'm not going to understand. And this is what John is driving at. Look, what manner of love has God bestowed on us? It's not the love that we know. It's love from another country. It's love that is foreign to us. It doesn't taste like our love. It doesn't sound like our love. It's different. It is wholly other than us. And John is saying, where has this love come from? It's like it's from another planet, is how we would say it colloquially today. See a guy walking along dressed really strangely, like, what planet is that guy from? Right? And that's what John is saying. He's like, What country does the love of God come from? Because it is not like ours. It's not just great, it's different. And that's important to what John is beckoning us to behold. It's important in terms of what we are called to study and to do as Christians is not to impose our love on God, but like John, to just marvel at how different God's love is and learn what God's love is. It's strange and exotic and, and, and just like food that we taste for the first time, maybe we're not even sure we like it. It is so different than our love that we need to set aside our human, common, even sinful ideas of what we think love is, and we have to do the work to comprehend the love of God that comes to us, is bestowed to us, is a gift that comes to us and is given to us from another country. In fact, it's a love that comes from another kingdom. So that's what we're looking at today. We're looking at, can we taste and see and understand the contours and the qualities and the uniqueness of God's love in Scripture and how it differs from our own? Uh, Let's pray as we do that. Father God, we look into your Scripture. We can't understand them rightly without your Holy Spirit. And so I pray that your Holy Spirit 
would come and rest on me, rest on us, open our eyes, open our hearts, open our minds to understand what it is that you are telling us through John and through the rest of your inspired writers as you seek to uh, not make us read between the lines like we have to guess at it, but just read the lines that you've given us to tell us, this is my love, and this is how it's different than yours. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So the manner of God's love, and I'm just going to skim really quickly through some manners of God's love to be able to see how it becomes to be different than ours and how it increasingly gets stranger than our love and how our love no longer compares. So the first thing, if we're studying the love of God, is we need to understand that it is a Trinitarian love. An important implication of the doctrine of the Trinity is that God has always existed as three persons in one being and that other love or relational love, or, which is different than self-love, which is not necessarily bad, but, but relational love between beings was not something new to God that came after creation. The grounding of love, as we understand it, as perfect relational harmony is intrinsic to the very nature of God because he is Trinity. The Father has always loved the Son Love the Spirit. The Son has always loved the Father and the Spirit. The Spirit has always loved the Father and the Son. And so love is intrinsic, relational love, other love, loving others is intrinsic to the very character and nature of God. It is his attribute which flows out of his being Trinitarian. Another important application of the Trinitarian nature of God with love is that we can expect his love to express itself to us through the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. In other words, as we consider the love of God, the manner of his love or the contours or the details or the flavor of God's love will take its shape or taste from the person of the Trinity through whom the love is coming to us. That's what we would expect to find in Scripture is the love of the Father, the love of the Son, and the love of the Holy Spirit and how God loves us in his three-part nature. And as the love of God is made known to us, we see in each aspect of God's love the work of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit together and yet unique in their way of demonstrating the love of the Trinity towards us. And they do this so that we can behold it, so that we can look and see the love of God. So there's a Trinitarian nature to God's love that is important that we don't have, we don't possess, we don't understand this, this is totally an attribute of God, but we understand that being Trinitarian in nature, that God has this element of relational love and harmony intrinsic to his very nature since before time began. This is not a new thing that God has created us, and now he's got to learn relational love, or relational love is something new that he created. He's always had it. Secondly, as we consider God's love, we realize that it's a phileo love. It, it makes sense to kick it off where John does in asking us to behold the manner of God's love. He answers the question. He says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. Phileo is kind of an odd word. That's your word of the day. might not have known it before. Now you can drop that at work tomorrow and impress your friends. 
But it refers to being an offspring. It refers to being a child or being an heir. And here's one of the most astounding things about God's love that John wants us to see. This strange love from another country, this holy other being who is set apart from us, who's not from where we are, his love is the kind of love that wants to and is the kind of love that is able to take what is foreign and make it familiar, literally make it part of his family. The closest understanding that God can give us of his love in this way is our understanding of adoption. And so he does. To to make us who are not his children into his children. To make he who is not our father able to be our father. And and Paul gives us here, and I've given it away because of my animations, Paul gives us the most concise portrayal of the Father's love to us expressed through the Son and the Spirit in this idea of being able to take what is foreign and make it his in Galatians 4. It says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. You see, God's love wants to make us his own, and it can make us his own. If we jump back to 1 John, we see that John understands this love of God coming to us through the Son, as Paul does. He writes a little later on in his letter, in this, the love of God was made manifest or made real, appeared among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation of our sins. So you want to know what love is? Don't have to read between the lines. Just read the lines. This is the love of God. This is love. God the Father has sent his son to die for us so that we might receive his spirit, the spirit of adoption, to be able to become children of God, and so we are. The love of God is a love that restores broken relationship. It turns slaves into sons. It imparts his spirit into us so that his spirit and our spirit have fellowship. And maybe we can understand that kind of love a little bit. Perhaps that's why John starts here, because this kind of love we can sort of understand. We love our children. We love children in general. We love others to the point that we might adopt them and rescue them. So we understand this love. We can sort of relate to adoption and family, to family love, to to loving a child who is not our own, wanting to give them what we have in our family. But John here has shown that the love goes deeper because as we read here, connected to this filial love, connected to this this family-making love is sacrificial love. You can't separate the two. As you start to go deeper into this love that God has, it draws us close and, 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 and makes us his own. We discover that this love by necessity is also sacrificial love. John tells us that God has to send his son and that the son has to substitute himself for us on the cross. He has to be a propitiation. This love of God is becoming increasingly strange. We're learning there's new depths to it. Not only does the love of God express itself in the sacrificial work of Jesus, but this love that sacrifices for us is sacrificial for his enemies. Romans 5, 8, and 10 says, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
While we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. This love starts to look stranger and stranger the longer we look at it. Less like our own, and the difference really starts showing itself. Because if we're honest, when we think about our love, we kind of need the object of our love to be lovable. It's not impossible for us, but it's pretty hard for us to continue to love who or what has no redeeming qualities. We love someone when they are lovable. There's some characteristic of theirs that we appreciate or that we, well, we love it. That's why we love them, because we love something about them. We love their sense of humor. We love their courage. We love their generosity. We love the fact that they are our own child. That's important sometimes. It's a good thing you're my kid. That's really the only reason I love you. You know, but there's something lovable in the object that causes our love to be pointed at them. And so the object of our love needs to be lovable. There's something that stirs up our love in the object. In that way, we are particular or prejudiced with our love. We prefer our love to land in certain places, and we withdraw our love when that thing is not lovable. See, sin has prejudiced our love. We portion it out based on the merits of the recipient. But this is how God's love is different, how God's love is from another country. God's love is not like that. His perfect love is not prejudiced, even by those that hate him. The God that is love, his love emanates from his very being and envelops even those who are wholly unlovable. His love is bestowed as a gift that is not deserved or earned by being a lovable object. Jesus says in Matthew 5.47, even Gentiles and publicans, even sinners love their friends. It's not the kind of love I have. It's not the kind of love I'm expecting to impart to you. I'm expecting you to love the unlovable. Love even those who persecute you, who hate you. So we see as we keep digging into what this God love is in Scripture, we see that this is love of another sort. This is love from another country. This is love that's getting harder for us to understand, that God loves even the unlovable. Even if there's no redeeming quality, his love lands on us without prejudice. This is a kind of love I don't fully understand yet. Not only is it sacrificial, we see that it is selfless. If we consider our version of love a little further to see how it's different than God's love, we realize first that we love what is lovable, but also that even we love what is lovable because we gain what is lovable from them. In other words, we get their company so that we're not lonely. We, we laugh and we're made happy by their jokes, and so we feel better and more joyful. We like to travel with them or work with them or just share our life with them so that we feel more fulfilled. And so if we're honest, not only does our love need to fall on lovable people, but we're actually receiving from their lovable quality. That's why we want them, because we receive from them. So part of the contour or flavor of our love is that we benefit from our loving. And of course, we hope it's mutual. We hope that they also benefit from our love too. And this is where it gets really tricky because, in fact, we would be hurt if they didn't appreciate our lovable qualities. So even their appreciation of us circles back to our need again. I need you to appreciate that I'm a lovable person. 
I mean, I love and appreciate you. Don't you love and appreciate me? If you don't love and appreciate me, now I'm hurt. So not only am I getting from you the lovable things that I love in you, but I also need you to love me. So I'm getting both ways. That's how our love works, if we're honest. I'll give as long as I get, and I'll give as long as you appreciate that I'm giving. I will love your lovable qualities, and I want you to love my lovable qualities. And if I stop getting or you stop appreciating, then our love is going to struggle. But God, being God, his love is not dependent on any return from us. God does not need to lo- us to love him, nor does God need anything from us for himself. This is why the other attributes of God are important. We went into some detail on this reality in week three when we explored the self-sufficiency of God. You see, it's important as we study the contour of what love is, God's love, and how it's different than us. It's important that we understand why God's attributes are exactly the way God's attributes are and why it leads for his love to be exactly the way God's love is. While our love is distorted with our need for something in return by our lack of self-sufficiency, God's love, true love, perfect love, is not distorted or diminished or tainted by any need. God's love is wholly selfless. There is nothing he needs from us and nothing he even needs to hold on to for himself because he cannot be diminished. No matter what God gives, God never has less. And so he does not need us, and we cannot take anything from him. And so he is completely selfless in his love, like no human love can possibly be selfless. And this sort of love is not our love. It's only God's love. All we can do is, like John, is just behold it and see it and wonder at it. What country does this kind of love come from? It doesn't come from around here. Because I've seen the kind of love we have for each other, and it is not like that. And so we see the selfless love of God towards us in many ways. Jesus came to serve and not be served, Mark 10, 45. Jesus was able to humble himself even to death on a cross because he did not consider equality with God something to be hung on to, Philippians 2. God required no payment or service in return for his love. It's a gift, Romans 6.23. He will love us faithfully even if we are faithless, 2 Timothy 2.13. Over and over and over again. We can go through scripture. We don't have time today. We're going to be talking about God's love for eternity, okay? We don't have time for it today. But you could go through scripture and God is selfless, selfless, selfless in his love. And it's only possible for God because of his other attributes. Thirdly, fourthly, whatever we're at now, God's love is transformational. It's transformational love. And the important thing to see here is that it is powerful love. It is efficacious. It can affect change and has the power to affect change. And in fact, it wouldn't be love if it didn't have power. We, when we think of power or we think of love, we think of love that's transformational or effective or powerful, able to make change, we especially see it as it works through the Spirit of God. Remember, I was talking about how God's love is Trinitarian. We've been talking about the Father's love. We've been talking about the Son's love. We talked a little bit about the Spirit, but I want to get the Spirit back in here again. And the power of God's love especially works in us through the Spirit. You remember in Galatians 4, For Paul said that God has sent his spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so that you are no longer a slave but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. So it's the spirit that is working in us to make us children of God. 
In Romans 8, he says, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Now, now one of the main things that I, that I want to see here is that the, what the Spirit is doing us in us while making us children of God is the Spirit is actually working in us. There's power in the love of the Spirit working in us, transforming us more and more into the likeness of God, which we lost in the fall. We were all image bearers of God. We lost that image bearing to some degree, and the Spirit is returning that image bearing that as we become more and more in the likeness of Christ, more and more we resemble God's family. The love of God is making us into his children, and it comes with power to correct us, to counsel us, to convict us, to teach us, to transform us so that we are a new creation. In another letter, Paul says, But we ought always to give thanks to God for your brothers, for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord. In other words, this is the love of God working in his loved ones. Because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. Sanctification by the Spirit means change. We're getting sanctified. We're, we're, we're setting aside the old and we're picking up the new. So, so all of that to say is that God's love beloved, is that the Spirit is changing you. The Spirit is at work in you to conform you to the image of God. God wants his adopted kids to take on his family traits that were lost in the fall, to reclaim their image of him. God is well aware that you have earthly fathers, and God is well aware that you have earthly families, and he knows that our earthly fathers and our earthly families are not perfect, affected by sin as we all are. So whoever you are and whatever family you come from, when when you receive the Holy Spirit and you get adopted into the family of God and you transfer from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light and you go from being a child of this world to being a child of God, then the Spirit will start to train you just as we train our kids, especially adopted kids, how to be in our family, how to be a member of God's family. As Peter Scazzaro says, Jesus may be in your heart, but Grandpa is in your bones. We're children of God, and like children, especially adopted children, we have to learn to be conformed to the traits of our new family. But God is loving in doing so, and his love has the power to do so. Jesus literally tells his disciples, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. There it is again. I will come to you. So the Spirit's not leaving us as orphans. We're adopted. The Spirit is at work sanctifying and changing us. Okay, Paul, where are you going with that? Well, in contrast to God's desire to transform us, and the power of God's love. In fact, it wouldn't be love unless it had the power of God to transform us. In contrast to that, our love today has been totally forced to become powerless or else be accused of an abuse of power. This is what I mean. Our love in the world today, for most people in the world today, we are told that in order to be loving towards someone, we must not change them in any way. We must not speak to them, teach them, conform them, influence them, put pressure on them. Our love can have no effect on anybody else. If our interaction with somebody asks them to change or suggests they change or says there's something else they should learn or whatever, we're doing violence to their identity. 
we are forcing ourselves upon them and we are not loving them. The only love that exists today is love that is completely devoid of power. But that's not God's love. God's love is full of power. And, on the other hand, the other kind of love that we see expressed too often, love in quotes, because of our selfishness and need and what we really want is the lovable thing that I need from the other person, is we go the other way and we exert power without love. So we either have love without power, which isn't really love, or you have power without love which isn't really love either. And so we exert power, masquerading as love, as we force people and manipulate people to give us what it is that we want from them in order to satisfy ourselves. And then we really do do violence in our relationships. And so on one hand, you can either have what the world calls love, which has absolutely no power to affect any change in anybody, or else you're unloving, or you can have people who are manipulating and what they're calling love using love to receive what it is that they need out of power. But you see, God's love is power expressed perfectly to transform you. Power exerted apart from the perfect expression of God's love is always in some ways violent, but love without the perfect application of God's power is impotent. It accomplishes nothing. And so again, as we behold this strange love that's nothing like our love or that we can find in our world, we see that in God's love, power and love are expressed perfectly in transforming, in being efficacious, in being powerful to transform and restore us into image bearers of him because God does love us so much that he says, you can't stay the same. I love you too much to stay the same. I want to rescue you from all of those things that are going on in your life that are harming you. All of those errors in your mind, all of the darkness that you love. I want my power and love to overwhelm you in those areas. But this world would never consider that love. That would be violence. And so we see again here in this final thing that God's love is wholly different than our understanding of love. And that's what John is talking about when he says, Behold, what manner of love is this? What what country does this love come from? Well, you'll notice that we've been skimming over sort of the contours, over the shapes, over the flavors, over the differences, the vistas of God's love, which is more than just great. God's love is absolutely great. But it's more than just great. It is different than our love. And as we've been going through this, you'll notice that I haven't even opened up 1 Corinthians chapter 13 or Galatians 5 and the fruit of the Spirit and all of those things. There is so much more for us to explore, and we are in fact going to spend eternity exploring the love of God. This, was, this, this message is just kind of a survey or a signpost, and, and that's what John's exhortation really is. John's exhortation there is really just a signpost that says, look, Look over here, look over there, look at all that is ahead of you to explore forever the love of God. And it is wonderfully different than any other kind of love that you've encountered. It is so different than ours. Don't think that when we say God is love that you can now define God because we know what love is. you got to turn that completely backwards. Let God tell you what love is. He defines it. He has told us. You want to know what love is? Take a little time. Think things over. 
Read between the lines. You're going to need this love of God when you're older. Not just when you're older, but like in the next 30 seconds, you're going to need it. Like really short older. older. Right? And so, yeah, I mean, foreigner, little nugget of wisdom there from 1984. But our job is to let God show us in his word, through his son, by his spirit, to say, you don't know love. My love comes from another country, comes from another kingdom. It's not like your love. Don't try to put me in the box of your love. I'm going to blow the doors off of that and show you something completely different. And it's the love that you need. It's the love that Mick is looking for. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you are love. And that you love us. And that you have shown your love, proven your love, given us a taste of your love, tried to demonstrate it, put it on display, given us allegories of it, metaphors for it, examples of it. You've taught it to us. You've shown it to us through your son. You fill us with it in your spirit. And yet we still struggle to really behold, to just stop and See what manner of love is this. Father, that we could take the rest of our life just asking that question and learning from you what manner of love your love really is. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.